This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Congressman Jim McGovern. Thanks for coming on. I'm happy to be with you. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So, Congressman, you were one of the very first members of Congress to join the call to abolish ICE. What pushed you to do so? I think what pushed me to do so is that I um, am deeply disturbed uh, by the direction our immigration policy is uh, is taking. I mean, I, I, I feel like we're betraying our values. I feel like, um, you know, I don't recognize our country based on some of the things that we're doing, not just at the border, but tearing apart families uh, in all of our communities. And, you know, uh, I voted against the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, which created ICE uh, way back when. Um, and I did so because I feared um, that it could become an agency that gets out of control. All my fears have been have been realized. Uh, this age, ICE was supposed to be an agency that was dedicated to going after terrorism, after drug smuggling, um, after you know, human trafficking, um, and instead it's become an agency that seems to disproportionately go after tearing apart families. And I've seen too many families uh, torn apart. Uh, I've seen too many uh, unethical practices put in play by ICE. Uh, and uh, I've heard from too many of my constituents um, who have, um, you know, seen friends apprehended by ICE. And I just, I just believe we're at the time when we should say uh, we ought to abolish ICE, uh, and we ought to figure out how we should proceed, uh, and we should embrace an, an immigration enforcement policy that has some that has some humanity to it. And what do you think such immigration policy might look like? Well, one is um, we, we shouldn't be uh, targeting families. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think as, you know, as a dad, I mean, I've, um, you know, I've talked to uh, families who have had their father uh, and mothers taken away from them and deported um, and their children got, are left here uh, in a state of shock and trauma. That, that certainly can't be what our immigration enforcement policy should be, should be about. Yeah, I want to protect our borders. I don't want terrorists coming to this country. I, I don't want drug smugglers uh, to have free reign in this country. And they don't, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I want to deal effectively with human trafficking. But I also understand that uh, families are families uh, and that we need to have some humanity when it comes to uh, our immigration policy, uh, policy. So rather than focusing so much on ripping families apart, you know, let's go after like bad guys. Uh, and that's that's my view. And by the way, we also need to fix our overall immigration system. We need comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, we need to figure out a way to help people who are here be able to adjust their status uh, so they can be with their families and don't have to live in fear of deportation. Uh, we need to address some of the challenges in our system that make it almost impossible for people to be able to immigrate here. Um, and we need to make sure that we respect our asylum system. You know, many of the people who are coming to our border right now from places like El Salvador and Honduras, they're fleeing for their lives. They're fleeing for the lives of their children. 
Uh, they deserve uh, political asylum. They're fl they have a well-founded fear of persecution. We got to make sure that uh, we continue to be a country where people whose lives are in danger can, can seek safe haven. So, Congressman, I'd like to go back to the very first piece of immigration restriction legislation in the United States, the Chinese Exclusion Act. I'd like to read a quick passage from Justice Brewer's dissent of the Fong Yuting decision, which is what validated the Chinese Exclusion Act by making detention and deportation constitutional and federal jurisdiction, even though there is no mention of these practices in the Constitution. Constitution. Quote, it involves first an arrest, a deprival of liberty, and second a removal from home, from family, from business, from property. It needs no citation of authorities to support the proposition that deportation is punishment. Everyone knows that to be forcibly taken away from home and family and friends and business and property and sent across the ocean to a distant land is punishment and oftentimes the most severe and cruel. Now this from 1893 is kind of bizarrely very much more progressive than what we see from most congressional Democrats. Why do you think that these practices that in 1893, this Supreme Court justice recognized as inhumane and cruel have been so accepted even from those within our party? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And, um, you know, um, and I think to be quite candid with you, I think um, immigration has become so politicized uh, and, and uh, we've had um, politicians who have so demonized the issue uh, that, um, you know, even members of my own party are afraid to kind of tackle the issue. Um, look, um, you know, uh, Donald Trump uh, and Attorney General Sessions have been masters uh, at uh, using immigrants as scapegoats. They have created a narrative that doesn't represent the reality. Uh, they have people thinking that somehow we're being invaded uh, when that's the farthest thing from the truth. They have a, they've created this impression that somehow all immigrants are criminals. Uh, when again, that's a big lie. You know, I was at a Dunkin' Donuts not too long ago and some guy asked me, you know, why I am so willing to, uh, to fight for the rights of MS-13 gang members uh, who are illegal immigrants uh, to be able to come into our country. Um, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I heard you give a speech the other day and what you said that. I said, well, I don't think I said that, but you know, what was the specific topic of that speech? He said, oh, you were talking about these, these, uh, these young kids who came with their parents. He said, they're all criminals. And I, I reminded him that those who have DACA and those who have temporary protected status, in order to get that temporary legal status, they all had to go, they all had to come forward and register and they had to go through background checks uh, and they had to pass those background checks. And every two years they have to re-register and they have to go through another background check. I says, these people aren't criminals. These are the most law abiding members of our community. I said to the, my friends at Dunkin' Donuts, I said, I'm not sure how many of you sitting at this table could pass a background check, but these people did. Um, so the idea that somehow they're criminals or they're somehow bad people, is just not true. And yet that impression has been reinforced time and time again uh, by people in the White House, by many in Congress. Um, and um, so there's a perception out there, as I said, that doesn't reflect the reality. And I think there are a lot of politicians who are afraid to kind of talk about this issue because they're afraid it's not a political winner. And look, a lot of us, uh, you know, 
want to get reelected. Um, I get that. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, but that, that's not an excuse to not tackle what has been a very cruel uh, implementation of our immigration uh, enforcement policies. Um, we could do better. Um, you know, we can protect our people. We can have um, sensible immigration laws, but we could also uh, not lose our humanity in the process. And um, and I, I look at what's happening. Um, you know, not only with regard to ICE, but with what's happening at our border. And I and I feel like we're losing our humanity. Uh, and it bothers me greatly. And um, and I think that now is the time for like-minded people who object to these practices to raise their voices. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm under no illusion that I'm going to be able to convince the people who watch Fox News every day, you know, that uh, Im- immigrants have been a, a positive force in this country. But we need to make the case. Uh, we need to correct the record. Um, we need to make sure that we're dealing with facts um, and, um, and and not political rhetoric. Uh that's designed to be red meat for the right-wing base. Congressman, I really appreciate that you're hitting on what is really the criminalization of migration. The idea that undocumented status has to be criminal, that border crossing has to be criminal, when in fact that was not the case until explicitly racist federal politicians decided that these things should be criminal. What can we do to dismantle the criminalization of migration in our everyday lives to fundamentally change this narrative? Well, one is we have to recognize the political reality we're dealing with. I mean, we have Donald Trump as president and Republicans control the House and the Senate. Uh, So, you know, even pushing for hearings on uh, proper oversight of agencies like ICE are very difficult. I hope that that changes in November. Uh, but we need to have a we need to have an honest discussion about what's happening here. You know, a lot of communities that I represent, and a lot of communities all across the country, um, and, and a lot of law enforcement, uh, local law enforcement uh, agencies uh, in our country, do not want to deal with ICE uh, because uh, ICE has created such distrust within their communities. They believe that their ability to protect people in our cities and towns is compromised if they're viewed as being uh, an arm of ice. I mean, that is how uh, how low the credibility is, uh, uh, you know, of this of this of this agency. We need to we need to recognize that. And I think people need to start talking about, you know, what are alternatives? What do we want our immigration laws to look like? You know, I'm working with, you know, Congressman Mark Pocan. and others, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a bill that essentially would, uh, you know, would 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 abolish ICE, but uh, call for a a thoughtful and you know effective approach to figure out, you know, what should our immigration laws look like? What should our immigration enforcement policy look like? Look, at, I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but that's why you know uh, we should have some. As we should have hearings, we should have you know a thoughtful discussion on why ICE has become so toxic. And we ought to have an honest discussion as whether or not we want to spend taxpayer money and we want to focus uh, our uh, immigration immigration enforcement agencies on going after f- ripping apart families. I don't think most people in this country want to do that. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's a way, you know, um, for us to be able to construct a sensible, humane alternative, uh, one that doesn't betray our values. And I don't think it's a radical idea. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I know some of our critics have said that, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, uh, you know, weaken law enforcement or we're trying to uh, 
put members of our constituencies in jeopardy. No, it's the opposite. I mean, uh, the immigration pol- enforcement policies we have, ICE in particular, you know, uh, again, most law enforcement agencies don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, and um, so we ought to accept that fact that we ought to scrap ICE and go back to the drawing board and figure this out. Um, and the other thing we ought to do is every time you hear somebody bash immigrants, we, you know, we have to speak up. Uh, enough of this immigrant bashing. I mean, we are a nation of immigrants. One of, one of, the, one of the things that we should be celebrating in this country is our diversity. Uh, there are very few of us who are Native Americans. I mean, my family, came, my family roots go to Ireland and Poland. And, you know, uh, and, you know, when the Irish first came here, they weren't particularly welcome and neither were, my, neither were uh, people coming from Poland as well. We all agree that, uh, you know, they have made great contributions uh, to our country, um, and we should be pr- we should be proud of our immig- immigrant heritage. And I and I just I this this idea that um, you know we, we're seeing Donald Trump and others you know basically kind of demonize immigrants because they're they're not all white, they don't all speak the same, they don't all look the same. I I, I find that so unbelievably disturbing, especially in 2018. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the, uh, the law way back when dealing with Chinese immigrants, which I think we look back on now and we cringe. But throughout our history, um, every time we have behaved this way, um, I think of, you know, during World War II, I mean, we wouldn't accept, uh, you know, Jewish migrants into this country. We turned uh, the, the, the great, the, 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 you know, we all remember the St. Louis when, you know, uh, thousands of, um, of Jews were turned away. Many of them then perished in the, in the Holocaust. I mean, we look back on that with great shame and sadness. I mean, and I'm, I feel we're going to do the same at this moment. Look, I spent an awful, a, lo- a lot of time during the 1980s in El Salvador investigating human rights crimes. Um, during that war, which was, ver- which was vicious, hundreds of thousands of Salvadorans fled to the United States uh, seeking safe haven. Many of them have been able to since uh, adjust their status. Over 20 years ago, temporary protected status was given again to Salvadorans because of a natural disaster that occurred um, in El Salvador. Same with, with Hondurans. Today, uh, El Salvador and Honduras are two of the most dangerous countries in the world. More people are dying in El Salvador on a daily basis today than were dying during the war. El Salvador is more dangerous than Afghanistan. We need to understand why people are coming here. They're coming here because they are afraid for their lives. They're coming here because they love their children and they're afraid their kids are going to be killed or forced into a criminal gang. These are refugees. These are people who under U.S. law should be getting political asylum. We should welcome them here. Um, And the fact that we're not um, I think, again, is one of these we're going to look back on this moment with uh, at, at this at this period with great shame. I mean, this is not who we are. This is not who we should be. Uh, and perhaps maybe in the midterm elections, we'll, we'll see somewhat of a course correction. Uh, but, um, but I'm horrified uh, by um, what's happening at the border. And um, I, I just can't believe it. Uh, and, um, and, you know, and, 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 and I, again, it needs to change. And the way it's going to change is that people continue to speak out um, and continue to pressure their elected officials. It's going to change if members of Congress continue to engage on this issue. I mean, let us have a, a full-throated discussion on how we can do this better. But it has to change. Um, this is not the America that I want. Um, I think we could do so much better.
Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Congressman, you mentioned the spending aspect. Could you tell us how much money is going to tearing apart families and deporting our undocumented neighbors? I mean, um, I, I could tell you that ICE receives about $7.1 billion in taxpayer funding. Um, and so, um, you know, $7.1 billion is still, a, uh, in, you know, a, a, a lot of money in my book. But that's just ICE. I mean, I mean, we have you know uh, border patrol agencies. We have other agencies that are also um, involved in immigration enforcement. Um, and and again, so a significant amount of our taxpayer dollars uh, is is uh, is dedicated to this. And then you know you apprehend you know uh, somebody somebody who you know uh, you take away from their family. And by the ICE and by the way, ICE has been. You know, apprehending people at, at courthouses, at schools, um, you know, uh, on their way to church. I mean, uh, it, it's pretty despicable uh, at some of their at some of their tactics. But then you they, you they apprehend these people and they put them in detention centers. You know, we're privatizing our, our detention policy, subcontracting these services out. Uh, uh, you know, we pay billions of taxpayer dollars every year to private for profit prison companies. Uh, you know, that uh, are not transparent, that are not subject to accountability, um, that quite frankly, uh, you know, overcharge the taxpayers because they think they can. But we used to have this thing called family case management programs where we would ha- we would assign lawyers to families to help manage their case and so they could live in the community and be able to get on with their lives uh, as their cases were being uh, adjudicated. You know, the Trump administration has kind of walked away from that, notwithstanding the fact that that was a much more effective way uh, to deal with um, with with these cases, uh, so so we're 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 spending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars doing this, uh, and I would say it is not making us more secure. Um, it is betraying our values. Uh, it is hurting our image uh, in the world in terms of uh, our standing on human rights. Uh, and um, and I think it needs to stop. And I think we need a new approach. I'm glad you brought up how immigration detention centers are profit centers for private prison companies. How does this play into the broader problem of prison privatization? And how can we fight that? Well, it, it does It does uh, play into the process of, of 
prison privatization in general because that seems to be the trend. Um, and it's, um, I, I think it's a, it, it's a dangerous trend because again, there's a lack of accountability um, and it's much, much more expensive. And uh, we, we need criminal justice reform in this country, which is a whole uh, separate topic. I, I had hopes before Trump got elected that a bipartisan coalition was developing to actually have a serious conversation on that, that is stalled uh, under this current administration. You know, I think one of the disturbing um, aspects of uh, the Sessions Justice Department is that people's rights don't matter. Um, you know, everything seems to be about pleasing uh, the most extreme elements on the right wing, and um, and and rights have been tossed out the window. And uh, you know, you know, people have rights. Immigrants have rights. You know, uh, prisoners have rights. Uh, we all have rights, um, and and they need to be respected. Could you give us a little more information on the bill you were talking about working on with Mark Pocan? The bill that we're we're working on. Uh, would um, you know? Uh, would uh, would eliminate ICE, and it would basically uh, trans transition its essential fun functions to other agencies. I mean, we want to continue to be mindful uh, that we are doing everything we can to protect our country against terrorism and and other things. Um, and then we would um, you know create a um, a process to actually develop an alternative. Uh, to develop what we call a humane immigration enforcement system. You know, the Congress of the United States is supposed to be the greatest deliberative body in the world. What, what, what is so radical about asking us to deliberate a little bit? I mean, to do the hearings, to embrace regular order, um, to hear from everybody on this subject, you know, those who have been adversely impa impacted, immigrant rights groups, you know, uh, legal uh, scholars, you know, I mean, law enforcement, you name it, bring everybody together. Let's hear it all um, and figure out, you know, how we can come together to create something, again, that doesn't go against uh, our values, uh, that doesn't betray what many of us think should be the best uh, of our country. And, um, you know, we can have sensible immigration laws. We can, you know, go after the bad guys. Uh, we can, um, you know, protect our country. Uh, but we could also be humane. We also can understand the fact that, you know, people are coming here uh, oftentimes because they are worried about their safety. We can also respect the fact that somebody who's been here, in some cases for over two decades or even more, who has a family, that there's something inhumane about saying, we're going to tear you away from your family. We're going to send you back to a country where your family would not be welcome or might be in in, in, in harm's way, um, you know. I mean, there's 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 a there's, there's a better way to do this, and um, and we ought to just, we, we ought to move in that direction. We ought to have this discussion. Unfortunately, you know, we're at a, in a period where everybody talks in sound bites, you know, where everything's kind of a you know a, you know a, a a one line press release. Well, you know, these are complicated issues, uh, and um, and I get it. As I said before. You know, the politics of immigration um, have become very difficult to manage. But at some point, we have to start doing the right thing, not only on immigration, but on a whole range of other issues. We have to stop playing to the cheap seats. Uh, we have to address the reality. Uh, and um, we also have to embrace, I think, the essential goodness of the American people, who I don't believe think that what ICE is currently doing, you know, is, is, in, our, is in our interest. Um, 
I think they think we could do this better. And, you know, let, let's have that discussion. Uh, and let's see whether we can come up with something better. And I believe we can. Um, I think the reason why many of us believe that ice is not fixable is because I think the, the you know, the well has been poisoned. I mean, ice has become, you know, um, you know, a, a, a symbol uh, for things that quite frankly are not welcome in most of our communities. Uh, it has instilled fear. Again, our, our local law enforcement officials will tell, uh, tell me, you know, they don't want to be seen as cooperating with ICE because, you know, they want members of the community to feel comfortable coming to them if they see something uh, uh, that bad happens in our community. And they're saying if they believe that our local police are, are, are an arm of ICE, um, people who are here on, in an undocumented status won't come forward because they're afraid that they'll be deported. That wouldn't, that's not protecting our community. That's making our community um, less safe. So, you know, we, we, we got to understand that ICE has become a symbol for things that, uh, quite frankly, are, are viewed very skeptically and with fear in, in our local communities. We need to scrap it and let's do this. Let's start from scratch and let's put something together, uh, again, that, that better represents our values. So lastly, Congressman, what can our listeners do to support the Abolish ICE movement and help end the criminalization of migration? Call your your member of Congress um, and tell them to support the Pocan Bill, um, you know, to get this get this process of of fixing the status quo, of, of making, uh, of, of creating a, a, a more humane immigration enforcement uh, system. Uh, of getting rid of ICE once and for all. I mean, th that, that's where we begin. We need to pass legislation. Um, engage your local representatives on this issue, not only at the federal level, but at the, at the state level as well. We need to be talking about, you know, not just what we're against, but what we're for, how we do this better, um, how, we, how we protect families. Um, and the other thing I'm gonna tell you um, is that in the immediate period, I think people need to, serve as a, be willing to serve as part of a circle of protection around vulnerable communities. Um, you know, you know, if, if somebody is being targeted by ICE, if some family is being threatened with uh, being torn apart, we need to be able to stand with, uh, with that family. We need to help them get uh, the legal representation they need. We may, we may even have to help them get sanctuary, um, uh, you know, until we can, we can figure this all out. Uh, but we need to stand with families. We need to stand with our humanity. Um, and uh, again, there's a there's a political, uh, you know, lobbying aspect of this of getting members of Congress to get on the Pocan Bill. But there's also things that we need to do in our individual communities. And that is, we need to we need to stand with people, you know, who have uh, who have come under uh, under attack by ICE or have been uh, targeted by ICE. Um, and, uh, you know, and one other thing is that, uh, you know, maybe we need to elect more immigrants to office <laughs> uh, at every level, maybe to help remind us about how important immigrants are to our country uh, and how the fact that we would not be as strong as we are, we would not be as vibrant as we are without the, with the, without the immigrant community. Again, I, um, you know, uh, one of the troubling aspects of this immigration debate is that it is tinged with racism. It is tinged with an ugliness that I, I, I thought we had moved beyond in this country. Um, it is really disturbing. I mean, I have, I have a 20-year-old son. I have a 17-year-old daughter. I, I mean, I, I, I push back uh, on some of the negativity and the intolerance uh, around immigration issues because I, I don't want this to be the country that they 
inherit. I mean, this is ugly, and I haven't seen this kind of ugliness in a, in a I don't know when, but it is, it, it, we, we need to stand up to it. And, uh, and, and I think it, it, we all have a voice, you know, we all, we all can make a difference. And some of us can, you know, have a greater impact on the national level, but we, we need to understand that we also need to make a difference in our local communities, in our coffee shops, in our, on our, on our campuses. And when people spew intolerance and they spew hate and they are factually incorrect when they're describing what is happening, with uh, our immigration population, we need to be there to correct the record. So we all have something to do. And, and uh, I'm just gonna close with this. I used to have an old history uh, teacher who used to end every class by saying the world will not get better on its own. And I'll be honest with you, with you at the time, uh, I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I was just happy the class was over. But the bottom line is now I see the wisdom in those words. Nothing good happens. Uh, nothing positive has happened in our history uh, without having like-minded people come together and stand up and do the right thing. I mean, you think of the civil rights movement. I mean, the advances we made in civil rights um, came because people organized and they demanded a change. Uh, the war in Vietnam came to an end because people gathered together and they demanded an end to the war. I mean, uh, you know, we, 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 we moved forward uh, in terms of understanding how important our environment uh, uh, is. And, and we had major environmental protection laws that were enacted because like-minded people came together and demanded uh, that we respect our environment. The same here. Uh, like-minded people need to come together. We need to fight back. We need to reclaim our goodness. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm confident that that's going to happen. I really am. Yes, absolutely. And we thank you so much for your leadership on this issue and for joining us on the podcast today. Well, it's my pleasure. I hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, of course. Now, to our listeners, make sure to follow the podcast on iTunes for more great conversations with folks like Congressman McGovern. Thanks for listening.